We're going to continue our overview of the Torah. I've told you this before, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, we're going to finish up Genesis this morning and move on into Exodus. Uh, last week, we finished our morning with Abraham with a promise and with about 23 chapters left to go in Genesis. So that's just about halfway through. Um, so I want to catch you up to the end of the book of Genesis. We concluded last week, and Abraham was 115 years old, and he had a promise, that's what we call a covenant, and uh, a 15-year-old son by the name of Isaac with a ram in the thicket. Sounds about where we were. Abraham's covenant actually was a six-fold promise from God and a warning. So let's review that. The six-fold promise, number one, God said that he would make him a great nation. Number two, he said that he would bless him. Number three, he said that you will be a blessing. As you go out, you will be a blessing. Um, number five is, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, number six, in you, all families of the earth, all families of the earth shall be blessed in Abraham. That seems like a pretty outstanding promise. That's a pretty amazing promise. But there was also a warning. In verses 14, uh, 13 and 14 of chapter, chapter 15, God says to Abraham, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country that is not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will promise the nation that, I will, I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards they will come out with great possession. God tells Abram, I'm giving you this great promise. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And he's predicting something that's going to happen 400 years in advance. How can God do that? He's beyond time, isn't he? He's timeless. He's already beyond where we are. Right? He's eternal. He's ever-present. He's all-knowing. He knows it all. When things happen in your life, understand this. God is not surprised. You might be surprised. It may have caught you off guard, but God is not surprised. You say, well, Lord, I just wasn't expecting that at all. And he's like, hang on, there's more. <laughs> right? God is not surprised. And there's this warning. So Abraham's son is Isaac. Isaac has a son and names him Jacob. This is the famous trio, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We'll read about them in Scripture uh, repeatedly. In Genesis chapter 23, Jacob wrestles with God and he walks away with two things. He walks away with a limp and he walks away with a new name and his new name is Israel. So as you, we begin to see this promise unfolding a couple of generations away from Abraham. Israel literally means struggles with God and quite honestly, if you look at Israel yet today, you see that that name is, bears itself out. It's really true. But you can see how this covenant or how this promise from God to Abraham, how this tra begins to get traction. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, is the father of the nation of Israel. And Scripture says that through Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Through Israel, then, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Where was Jesus? What was Jesus born from? The tribe of Israel, right? He comes from that line. So all the, all the nations of the world. Israel... Or Jacob has 12 sons. I'm not going to give you all their names, but he has a favorite son. And this favorite son causes, well, this relationship between he and his dad causes huge family issues, resentment, bitterness, lying, treachery, separation, infighting, betrayal, heartbreak. The young man's name is Joseph. 
Joseph was actually sold into slavery by his brothers. I think most of us have at least heard of that story. It brings through a bunch of trials and troubles. Joseph ends up being second in command of all of Egypt under Pharaoh. Now, this is not the promised land that God gave them, that God told Abraham they were going to get. This is the 400 years. This is the beginning of the 400 years of slavery. While he is uh, second in command, Joseph uh, is uh, estranged from his father and his brothers at this time, and he ends up second in command of all of Israel, uh, I'm sorry, of all of Egypt, and the entire Middle East experiences seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. No rain, no water, no crops. Joseph's brothers come looking for help, and in the process, they're reunited. And that whole story, we've, we've heard that many, many times, the story of Joseph and his brothers. Joseph had carte blanche over everything in Pharaoh's immediate house, except for Pharaoh's immediate household. So until, uh, uh, so, so Joseph is able to bring his brothers and his family back together. They're reunited. It's the story of the birth of Israel. It starts out really with one man and a promise, and then it moves to a family, and then it moves to a clan, and then all of a sudden it becomes a nation, the nation of Israel. Now the nation of Israel at this time, if you can imagine this as the, the whole Israel uh, is all of Egypt. Somewhere in the middle of Egypt is this family, this clan, this tribe called Israel. There's a whole group of them. There are several hundred thousand at, by this time. And so there, there are lots and lots of people, all part of this, within the context of Egypt. They're all part of it. So time rolls on. This brings us to about the end of the book of Genesis. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh dies. So when Pharaoh dies, this is the one that Joseph was, was uh, second in command of. Pharaoh dies. A new Pharaoh comes to power. And Joseph is separated from his position of power there. And actually, Joseph dies. And when this new Pharaoh comes to power, he has no regard for Joseph or for his family or for Jacob or for his family, or for Israel. He has no regard for them whatsoever. As a matter of fact, he's actually a bit terrified by them. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 8. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said, these people, the Israelites, have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal with them shrewdly. Uh, we must deal with them shrewdly, or they will become more, uh, more, even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them, and they forced and with forced labor, and they built um, they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So Egypt came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and all kinds of work in the field. In all of their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So the Pharaoh takes over and he said, look, I'm terrified of all these people. We've got literally by this time, they estimate there was somewhere between two and four million uh, 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 Jews or, or, or Israelites there. And uh, the Pharaoh said, if we come to war, man, they're going to side with our oppressors or with those who are coming to war. And we're going to get beat from the inside and from the outside. We've got to turn them into slaves. And they keep them in slavery for 400 years. 
God spoke specifically to Abraham. And he said, your descendants are going to be in slavery for 400 years. But understand this. When they come out, I'm going to bless them. So the story of the Exodus is the story of Israel, who's in the midst of this great nation of Egypt. The story of Exodus is God raising up a leader and helping them exit from Egypt in becoming their own nation. Exodus, that's what it stands for, is God exiting them, removing them, helping them leave. God in his mercy raises up a new leader, a deliverer for the nation of Israel. As I said, first it was a family, then it's grown into this huge nation. But they're not just a nation. They're a nation of promise. They're a nation of destiny. They're a nation of covenant. Covenant is important. They're not just another nation. They are a nation of covenant. And God raises up this leader. Here's the deal with the covenant. We finished with this last week. We said the deal with God in a covenant is when God cut that covenant and he, was, he did both sides of it, now it's a covenant that cannot fail. Failure is not an option. They are a people that cannot fail. So who's this new, great, fearless leader of Israel? Well, it turns out to be none other than Pharaoh's adopted grandson, Moses, it almost sounds like a plot for a movie, doesn't it? I think it has been a couple of times, actually. It turns out that Moses is a bit of a reluctant leader. And you can, if you've been reading along this week, you'll have read Moses' story. But God is trying to prepare him. And at one point along the way, God actually gets really frustrated with Moses. Moses said, well, you can't use me because I come from this. You can't use me because of this. You can't use me because of this. You can't. Anybody in this congregation, you don't have to raise your hand. But has anybody ever really felt God's call on your life? Like God's moving you and you're like, oh God, you can't, you, you can't mean me. It's got to be something. It might be my brother. Or maybe it's, maybe it's, like, maybe it's Scott Eiley. It's, it's, it just can't be, it's not me. It's got to be something. Maybe it's Terry. But it's not me. Look, I want to tell you something. It doesn't make any difference what family you come from. It doesn't make any difference what your background is. It doesn't make any difference where you come from or who you are. God can use you, and I believe that he's got a call on most of our lives, right? Maybe all of our lives, right? He's got a purpose for each one of us. It doesn't make any difference who you are. And at one point, God actually gets pretty frustrated with Moses. And if you don't know about that, I'm going to encourage you to read through Exodus. You'll see God's conversation. Fine, fine. God's like, fine, I'll, I'll, help your, I'll have your brother help you then. I mean, God gets really frustrated with him. Moses has a call to be a deliverer. I talked to a lowly tree cutter this morning. I'm not going to tell you who that is because that would be betraying a confidence. <laughs> Right, Scott? That would be, I couldn't do that, could I? But he just talked about working with a guy, and he felt like the Lord just prompted him to share his story. And the next thing you know, he had the opportunity to lead this guy to Christ. Why? Why does that happen? Because God calls us all to ministry. We're all able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter for the letter kills, but of the Spirit, because the Spirit gives life. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got just as much call on your life as Moses does. You might not believe that. It's the truth. It's a, well, leading people out of Egypt, people are in all kinds of Egypt. There's all kinds of Egypt around us. 
God in his mercy raises up this leader. And it turns out, again, that Moses is, is reluctant to this call. We finally, uh, we find in, in uh, chapter two that Moses uh, is not running towards God, but rather he's just on the run. Exodus chapter two and verse 21, Moses agreed to stay with a man. So, so there's a period of time that goes on after this call and Moses agrees to stay with a man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershon saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Moses was actually raised in Pharaoh's palace. If you haven't read the account, go back and read it. It's all in your Bible. In, in the book of Exodus, Moses was raised in this palace and he ends up uh, knowing that he came from this tribe of Israel, knowing that God has got a call on him. And verse 23 says, during that large period of time, that long period of time when Moses is on the run, the king of Egypt dies and the Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out. And they cried for help because of their slavery. And that cry went up to God. God heard their groaning. Verse 24, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with, with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on, Israel, on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God made a covenant 400 years before. There are some of you that are sitting in this room that you had parents or grandparents or great-grandparents, probably a grandma somewhere along the line or a mom, who was praying for you as a little kid. Hours in prayer. Hours in prayer. And God made him a promise somewhere along the line. And you've been running, but God's wanting to pull the reins in and say, oh, it's time, it's time, enough running. Enough running. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remember that promise I made to your grandma. I'm going to remember that promise that I made to your mom. Here we are, four hundred years later Israel's in bondage and slavery but there is this promise that God made to great 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 grandpa Abraham there's a promise and God remembered his promise and he said because I remembered his promise I know their struggles I'm going to listen to their cry because I made a promise to great 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 grandpa Abraham you're like, Pastor, that's not how my Bible says it. It's there. You just got to read it. So God instructs Moses to go before Pharaoh and to plead for Israel. And Pharaoh declines, and he continues to decline. And we read about God telling Moses. God spoke to Moses, and when he told him, he said, what I want you to do is I want you to go before Pharaoh and plead for my, for my people Israel. And when you do, Pharaoh's going to turn you down. So why go? Well, God, I know you're telling me that I need to go and talk to, to, talk to so-and-so over here. But you're also telling me that she's going to turn me down. So should I go or shouldn't I go? I'm not talking about a date. I'm talking about how do we tell people about Jesus. We're afraid. We're afraid. If I tell somebody, well, they might turn me down. Moses knew. He knew that Pharaoh was going to turn him down. God said, I'm going to use that in Pharaoh's life. Pharaoh's going to harden his heart, and then God says, after a fashion, I'm going to continue to harden his heart. All for God's purposes. All for God's purposes. We read about this story, this account, in 
chapters 7 through 12 in Exodus. In chapters 7 through 12, God unleashes these plagues in, in Egypt. Um, so God instructs Moses to go before Pharaoh and to plead for Israel. Pharaoh declines. Moses keeps going back. Moses finally says, look, there's going to be plagues that are going to come on the nation. And I want to look this morning just briefly at what the significance is of those plagues. I think sometimes we read this account and we don't really look at the significance of some of these things. The plagues were ten disasters that were sent on Egypt. And the purpose of these ten disasters was to convince Pharaoh to free the Israelite slaves from bondage. What we need to understand is these slaves knew about God. They heard about God. They believed in God. But they didn't believe that God was going to set them free. They needed a bigger picture of their God. How many of us have walked around and we got a pretty small picture of God around us? Well, like, you know, God's okay when I encounter him in church. But outside of church, I don't have to worry about God, right? Because God's not, God only lives in church, right? When God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel, he promised to show his wonders and really he did it to confirm Moses' authority. We read that in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 20. And this confirmation serves two purposes. The first part of this is to show the Israelites that the God of their fathers was alive and worthy of their worship. Well, how important is that in church? Well, here's the deal. My kids do not get to go to heaven because I'm a pastor. Right? They don't get to, your kids don't get to go to church just because you read the Bible every Sunday or Monday, or Tuesday, or Wednesday. Your kids don't get to go to heaven unless they make that commitment themselves, right? We gotta grow into that. Now, I believe there was a period of time when my children were blessed because of Annette and my relationship with the Lord. I believe my children walked in that blessing. But there comes a time when God calls them to step out themselves and to grow up, and to grow up in Him, and then their families will be blessed. Moses, part of this is God wants the children of Israel to see that God is still alive. Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, before Moses even goes to Pharaoh, he's got to talk to the Israelites. I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being the slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from, the yoke of, uh, from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land that I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Part of what God wants to do through Moses is through the children of Israel, he wants them to understand that God is their God. Two people said amen. You know part of the pastor's job every Sunday morning 
Part of the pastor's job every Sunday morning is to equip you, to encourage you to know that, your, that God is your God. He cares about your day. He cares about your life. He cares about your situation. He cares about your kids. You don't have to come to the pastor every time. You can if you want. Not every time. I try to take Fridays off. You, 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 God is your God. You are able to pe- petition God on your own. Did you know that? Some people say, well, you know, Pastor, I'm just trying to get my neighbor to come to church. If they just come to church, how about you bring church to them? That doesn't mean you've got to drag a piano and a guitar and a drummer, right? That means you've got to be the life. You've got to be the hope. You've got to be the peace. You might be the only Jesus that they see. And so if you're just used to being all grumpy and going, well, this is just the way I go through life, grow up and change that. You are the hope and the light and the life of the world. The the Spirit of God wants to work through you, not just through the church. You are the church. God wants you to understand. He wants us to understand that, right? You believe that? You believe that you're an able minister of the New Testament? Every one of you, if you've accepted Jesus, you're able to minister that. How? Why? What what does that mean? You know what the word minister means, right? Servant, table waiter, can I help you? What would you like to order today? How about a little of this? How can I help you in your walk? How can I help you as a neighbor? How can I help you as a friend? We're table waiters. We're ministers of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's how we get the opportunity to share the gospel. Just because we think we're high and mighty because we go to church? No! Because we're able ministers of the good news of Jesus Christ. But that requires us getting off of our backsides. Can I say that in church? Sometimes we got to get up and we got to do something. The second thing, the second part of this is God wants to show the Egyptians that their gods mean nothing. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 5. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and I bring the Israelites out of it. Not only did the Israelites come out, they were slaves. They were so fed up with the plagues that were coming against them that the Israelites piled on gold and jewelry and they came out wealthy. They actually came out wealthy. We find a few verses later when Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2 says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. It ain't going to happen. Sitting up here, I'm on my throne. Why should I? What do I care about Israel? We don't understand something. I'm not going to do a direct relationship here, but This whole concept of Egypt kind of represents the world around us. And they don't really care. They don't really care about the things that you have going on as a believer necessarily. They don't really care. In the world around us, there's all kinds of things that are held as idols, held in high esteem. When we talk about the plagues, it was probably about three or four years ago, the first time I'd ever heard this, and I've done some research on it since then. But every one of those plagues that came to Egypt came to destroy one of their gods, came to show the weakness of each of their gods. I didn't know that when I was younger. I'd, I'd read through this several times. 
Well, we started look, I started looking into this, and I've read a fair bit of material about it. But the first plague, if you remember, was turning the Nile River into blood. It was actually a judgment against three of, of Egypt's gods. The first god was Apis, was the god of the Nile. Isis was the goddess of the Nile. And Kunum was the guardian of the Nile. The Nile was actually considered as a fourth god as well. Uh, Osiris, Osiris, Osiris. And the, the Nile was considered the bloodstream of this god. And every spring, when it, when, when it, when it, after the winter when things had kind of dried up, when it came back to life, they considered that, that that God was born again every spring. And here, Moses comes in, and because of what God had spoken to him, the entire Nile was turned to blood. And the Nile formed the basis, really, for their whole national economy. When the Nile River was devastated, uh, fish died, uh, people died, there was, there, was, there was famine, there was plagues, all kinds of things because of this. But God was taking out their first God, their greatest God. The second plague uh, brought forth frogs out of the Nile. This judgment was actually against their God, Heket. And Heket was actually a frog-headed God of fertility. Now, if you just read the story... Yeah, I know, you can shake your head. I, I didn't write it, I'm just telling you. They actually had a god, a fertility god that had a frog head and when they were struggling, having just, they went and they worshipped this god in order to try and have babies. So God says, you want frogs? I'll give you frogs. I'll give you lots of frogs. There were frogs on top of frogs on top of frogs on top of frogs. They couldn't get rid of the frogs. The frogs were in their house. The frogs were in their business. The frogs were in their bedroom. The frogs were in their kitchen. They had frogs everywhere. What happens when frogs begin to die? Surely they stinketh. They're pushing frogs out with scoop shovels into the street and there's piles of frogs and they're stinking. You want to worship that God? Here, here's what your God is good for. Kind of nasty, hey? Frogs died, they piled them all up. As a matter of fact, the third flag, or the third flag, the third plague was gnats. This was a judgment that came out of the desert. And it was a judgment on Set. Set was the god of the desert. At the end of this, it's so bad. You ever, ever had gnats? I mean, you ever had... When we lived up north of Nashwalk, we had these gnats. They called them noceums. You know why? Because you couldn't see them. And you'd go out. It got so bad in the spring of the year that I would go out and mow the lawn and I would have my pants taped down around my boots and I would have to put on a sweatshirt of some sort with gloves and then I took a mosquito net and I hot glued it into the face of my hoodie. So there I am out riding my lawnmower. It's 80 degrees. But if you didn't and you walked through the yards, all of a sudden you'd kind of feel something on your arm and you'd swipe and there'd just be blood because these little noceums would burrow under your skin. It was nasty. Well, here they had gnats. They had gnats everywhere. And this plague was so bad that Pharaoh finally declared this to be the finger of God. God is really putting his, he's touching it. He's doing something. God's doing something. But did that change his mind? The fourth plague was the plague of flies. 
This judgment was against another God whose name I cannot pronounce. But God distinguishes. This is the first plague where God distinguished between the Israelites and the Egyptians in that there were no flies that bothered the Israelites. They're in the middle of Egypt right here, and there's flies everywhere, but there's no flies for the Israelites. There are no flies. I can, you got flies. You got flies. You might even have fleas. But there's no flies. I got no flies. I got no gnats. I got no flies. There's no problem. I'm not, I'm not having a problem. And so Pharaoh sends out a spy. He's like, we've got to check and see what's going on over there with Israel. And the spy comes in and finds out, God's not doing the same judgments here that he is to us. And you would think that he'd go, hey, maybe I should change something, right? And instead, what does he do? Double down. I'm going to harden my heart. Don't come again. Don't come and talk to me again. I'm not letting you go. I don't recognize your God. I see your God but I don't recognize your God. So along comes the fifth plague, which is the death of the livestock. This was a judgment against the goddess Hathor and the god of Apis, who were both depicted as cattle gods. These gods had long gowns and had heads of cows. That's what they had. It was the god that they worshipped. Lord, we just, oh God, we need you to bless our herds. And so they'd come and they'd bow down before the cattle gods. And again, in the middle of this plague, God protects Israel. All of their herds are just fine. But Egypt is going through these struggles. God was steadily destroying the economy of Egypt all while showing his ability to protect and to provide for those who obeyed him. And the result was the hardening of Pharaoh's heart against the Israelites. We got four more plagues. Before we go on, let me just speak to this. I think there's two things about this that really stick out to me for us today. For us today, Scripture says, that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. Israel was in Egypt, but they were not Egypt. They were in the world, but they were not of the world. And I think when we look at what's going on in the world around us, it's, it is absolutely, um, we, have, we have every right, I believe we have every right to stand up and to believe that God will protect us from some of the chaos that's going on around us in our world. We, we can believe that. We can hang on. He's done it for eons. He's done it for, 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 for millennia. He's protected people. He'll protect us. We get so crazy about what's going on in the world today. Well, guess what? Sinners do what sinners do, right? The world does what the world... Egypt does what Egypt does because they're Egypt. That doesn't have to change Israel. The world around us acts like the world around us. Uh, we, re we read in John chapter 3 all the time about how Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. It's already on a fast track for hell. I would tell you, instead of being so consumed by what's going on in the world around us, let's keep our focus on Christ. He alone is where our help is at. That's where we have hope for our family. Let's keep turning to God in all of that. But here's the second part of this. I know there's some of you who wanted to say amen, and I get that. We're on a time crunch here. The second part of all of this is God is destroying every false god 
that Egypt had. You say, well, what does that have to do with me, Pastor? Here's what it has to do with you. Here's what it has to do with all of us. We all let things get between us and God. And that would be considered a false God. That would be considered something other than God. Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's our career. Maybe it's a position. Maybe it's a title. Maybe it's I got elected to this or I'm the best at that or I can do or I or I or I or I or I. And it's all about me. And here we see that God loves Israel so much. He also loves Pharaoh. He keeps going back to Pharaoh and saying, I'll give you one more chance. I'll give you one more chance. I'll give you one more chance. Maybe your world is coming down around your ankles. Maybe you're, you're standing here, you're going, I've lost it. I don't have anything left. I've lost it all. It seems like there's a plague hitting me here and hitting me here, and I can't get above it. I can't get beyond it. I can't get past it because God loves you so much that he's saying, I paid a price. There's, there's an answer. There's an answer. Come to the cross. Come to the cross. Come to the cross. The Bible says in the last, every knee, when we stand before Jesus at the end of time, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. How many? Every. Every knee. How many tongues? Every tongue. That's, that's at the last day. That's at the judgment. You know what I say? Beat the rush. Don't wait for the last day. Beat the rush. Come to the cross now. Let Jesus save you now. Don't confess at the last minute. Confess while you got a chance for change. Beat the rush. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And if we're not willing to give it up, God's going to destroy some things around us. You see it in families all the time. You see it, we're following after this and it comes to a failure. We're following after that and it comes to a failure. Guess what? You're going to have a pile of money. You're going to have all the money you want. Money's not going to buy you peace, right? It's going to, it doesn't buy you joy. It doesn't make any difference. What that God is, Jesus Christ is king of all the kings. He's Lord of all the lords. He's God of all the gods in our lives. God is steadily destroying the economy of the entire nation. You know what I think? I'm going to get to preaching. Okay, I haven't started been preaching yet. You know what I think? You know what's going on in the world around us? God's going to destroy the whole world system around us. This is not the end. This is When the Bible says that the government is going to rest on God's shoulders, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. But our government is sure kind of looking silly, aren't they? God's destroying the fabric of all of that. He's allowing them. He allowed Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not going to do it. 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 Finally, God says, all right, then we'll just heap that on you. You like living in that situation? Here you go. Folks, we need to hang on more and more. Every day, we need to hang on tighter and tighter to Jesus because the Egypt around us, the world system around us is coming to naught. It's, it's falling in on itself. It's falling in on itself. That's actually what happens here. I'm running out of time. He's destroying it. The sixth plague is the plague of boils. Every time there was a plague, Pharaoh brought his magicians, and, and a few of these, these, uh, these plagues they were actually able to replicate. The sixth plague is the plague of boils. It was a judgment against uh, several gods, their health gods, their disease gods. Uh, all these gods, uh, Seket, Sun, and Isis, the, there's just a number of them. But the magicians couldn't even, they were so sick, they were so covered with boils that they couldn't even stand before Pharaoh to say, we can't do anything about it. They were powerless against God. And before God sends the final plagues, 
the final three plagues, Pharaoh is given a special message by God. Moses comes to Pharaoh again. And he says, Pharaoh, I want to tell you something. These next plagues plagues that are coming are going to be more severe than anything. You've never seen anything like this before. You've never seen anything like this. Pharaoh was told, look, whatever you've got out in the fields, if you've got cattle out in the fields, get them in. If you've got grain out in the fields, get it down. There are plagues coming that are going to be so bad. If you think... If you think that you've struggled enough in the world, if you think that you've faced all that you can possibly face, I'm here to tell you, unless you turn to God, the plagues that you've seen are nothing yet. They're nothing yet. It's just going to get worse. It's going to get worse. If I could sit down and have a conversation with you in my living room, I'd say, you know what? Turn now. Turn now. Maybe you need to have that conversation with a friend. Maybe you need to have that conversation with a, with a loved one, with a sister, a brother, an aunt. And Turn now. It's not going to get any better. It's just not. God loved Pharaoh so much. Do you believe that God loves our, our, our government that, that's going right? I believe God loves those people. We're, we're told to pray for our leaders. Pray for them. It's not going to get better if you keep doing it on your own. It's just going to get worse. I've had frogs. I've had flies. I've had gnats. How much worse could it get? Well, in the last three plagues, it gets worse. The sixth plague is hail which is a direct assault on their god, Nut, and their sky goddess, Orisiris, and their fertility god, Set, and their storm god, I can't pronounce his name either. But this hail was unlike any hail that's been seen before because it was accompanied with fire that ran along the ground. So everything that was left open was devastated either by the hail or by the fire. And the children of Israel were miraculously protected right in the middle of it again. You say, Pastor, do you believe all this stuff? I do. I do. I believe it's real. Before the next plague, the Israelites, uh, Moses told the Israelites, that they would have things to tell their children. There's going to come a day when you're going to be able to tell your children how God set us free. God's power in the eighth plague, any grain that was left, anything that was left, God sent locusts. And again, he's focusing on these nature gods. He ate every last bit of the crop, wheat, rye, anything that was left. It was devoured by swarms of locusts. There would be no harvest The ninth plague was darkness. It was aimed at the sun god, Re, and actually that was uh, uh, symbolized by Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh considered himself a god. And for three days there was a supernatural blackness, darkness, that covered the earth. Except in the homes of the Israelites. They still had light. 
There's darkness all around us. There's darkness all around us. There's darkness all around us. But you can still have light in your home. Because Jesus is the light of the world. We still got that light. How can you how can you put up with all this crazy stuff? I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Right? Thank you. Thank you very much. The tenth plague, as we know, the last plague is the plague of death. It was the death of the firstborn of all the males. And we're, because of time, I'm just going to go over this. It's the first time that God says to the children of Israel, all right, here's the deal. I've shown you who I am. You've seen how much I can conquer. You've seen that I've conquered all their gods. This time, you're going to have to do something about this. The death angel is going to pass over. And when he does, I need you to go out and you need to make a sacrifice before he comes. You need to make a sacrifice. You need to take that perfect, unblemished lamb. And you need to sacrifice him. And you need to take hyssop. You need to take some, some, some branches, some branches, and you dip them in the blood, and you put it at the top of the door, and put it on the side post of your door, and you put it on the bottom, and it forms a cross. And they don't know that it forms a cross. They don't know anything about Roman crucifixion. They don't know any of that. But that's a symbol of the things that were to come. And if you've got blood on your doorpost, then the death angel will pass over. To this day, Israel celebrates the Passover. When Jesus died, it was during the Passover. The Passover is a huge in Christianity. But that death angel passed over and it killed all of the firstborn throughout Egypt. And it killed all the firstborn in Israel, whoever didn't obey that. You had to obey it. This is where our faith comes into play. You got to do something about it. Here's the reality. You can sit here in church all day long. There are going to come points along the way when God says, I need your faith activated. I need you to do something on this one. I need you to participate with me. I need you to be a co-laborer with me on this one. You want to see results? You got to open your mouth. You got to say something. Right? Right? You don't get to just be the light of the world without letting your little light shine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, right? You're going to let your light shine? No, no, no. I wouldn't want to offend anybody. Well, how about then we don't offend anybody right to hell? Right? How about we just let Egypt continue to run over us? How about we not participate in what God's doing? Look, God's called each one of us to be able ministers of the New Testament. That means you're supposed to shine your light. Right? I got two more pages. <laughs> the children of Israel were left untouched. This is where Passover comes from. And at the end of the time, Pharaoh's like, All right, I've had enough. Go, get out of here. Take your sheep, take your goats, take your women, your children, go. And everybody in Israel's like, I've had enough. Get here, take 10 bucks, take 20 bucks. Here's my car keys. Go, here's gold, there's silver. Get, go, just go. We're tired of the place, we can't take. Go, just go. And in the midst of all of it, finally there's this great relief in Egypt. Fine, they're gone, they're gone. Get out of here. Go and worship your God. Do whatever you want to do, we don't care. And Pharaoh's sitting there, and he's stewing. Stinking Moses. Can't believe he'd come here and ask me. Look at all those slaves. Who's going to make my bricks now? 
I'm going to make these bricks ourselves. I don't have anybody to make bricks. How am I going to add on to my buildings? How am I going to make, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? You're not going to read that in there. But Pharaoh is just amped up. Finally, he's like, call the chariots. Let's go after them. Moses is gone. He's out. He's got the, and, and he gets, to the, he gets to, the, to the river, right? He gets to, what river are we headed to? The Red Sea. I actually knew that. I just forgot it. That's why I was asking for help. No, I was testing to see if you knew. No, I forgot it. He gets to the Red Sea. And the Red Sea is there. And, and, and already Israel is going, ah, I don't know these people are like, I'm not really sure. But to get to the Red Sea, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So Moses stretches out a staff to see parts. Okay. I'm telling you. It's just my brain. Maybe I've just seen too many cartoons. But can you imagine? You're walking through. The water's standing up on each side. I wonder how many different kinds of fish you could see when you're walking through. Hey, look at that. I knew there was northerns here. Look at that. There's a walleye over there. I wonder what that is. They're walking through on dry ground. The sea just parted. They're walking through on dry ground. And Pharaoh is so amped up. Two to three million people. When they finally get through on the other side, Pharaoh's like, we want our slaves back. And he takes their entire military. And this is where I believe God allows his heart. Not only does, does Pharaoh uh, harden his heart, but I believe God hardens his heart to the point that all of a sudden it's going to bring absolute destruction on Egypt. Hear me. Hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. You've heard it over and over again. Well, I just give him enough rope to hang himself. Just give him enough. Just give him enough. And he'll hang him. Just do blah, blah, God is doing that in the world around us. Look for the dry ground. Look for the way through the Red Sea. God will let this, the world destroy itself. It's going to come in on itself. It's going to come in. There's, there's enough bitterness and hatred and anger. Listen to it. It's, it's just all this rhetoric around us all the time. You can't say that that's hate. You can't say that that's, you can't do this. You can't do, you got to believe this. Blah, 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 blah. God, we're just going to ask you to part the Red Sea so we can walk through and let the whole world, let's just, I hate to say it, let it cave in on itself. We've got to do our part. We've got to reach out. We've got to reach out. We've got to see those people as lost as God sees them. But trust me, this world's system is coming to an end. If you don't see anything else, if you don't get anything else today, understand this. The world's system is going to come to an end. It is. There's going to come a day when God's going to set up his kingdom again, and this world system is just going to come to an end. There was a promise. God remembered his promise to Abraham 400 years later. He remembered that promise. He remembers his promises to you and I as well. He's coming back for a church. And when he does, it's going to rain hell on earth when it happens. So get ready and make sure that we're in the right spot. Amen? Amen. God, I just thank you for each person here. I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that we would grab hold of the truth of this. It doesn't make any difference what the God is in our world that we worship, whether it's money, whether it's our job, whether it's booze, whether it's sex, whether it's... It doesn't make, it doesn't make any difference what it is. You're going to bring every one of them to naught, trying to prove yourself to be faithful and to be true and to be above it all. And you are above it all, God. You are worthy of our praise, Father. No one is worthy of our praise but you. You, have, you. you are in all, through all. You created it all. It's all done by you, through you, and in you. God, I just ask you to make that true in our hearts. Help us to grab hold of the truth of that. In Jesus' name, amen?
Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Don't forget your little ones downstairs.